All right, Psalm chapter 114. Psalm chapter 114. I'm, I'm uh, giving this to you from the NKJV, the New King James Version. It says, When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back. O mountains, that you skipped like rams. O little hills, like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of waters, the flint into a fountain of waters. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. God has a word for us, a word for 2020, and this is the word of the Lord for you and for me and for us in 2020. That God is ready to make you his sanctuary and to make you his dominion, but first you must come out of Egypt. God is ready to make you his sanctuary and his dominion, but first you must come out of Egypt. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language. If you want to know what it means to come out of Egypt, first and foremost, it means to come away or to separate yourself from a people of a strange language. The first way Egypt is described here by the psalmist Describe what it is that Israel came out of. Let me just... It's okay? Okay. The first descriptor of Egypt is that it's a people of a strange language. Now, there's two other descriptors of Egypt in the Old Testament. The first is in Exodus chapter 13, verse 3, also in verse 14, and in many other places in the Old Testament. Egypt is called the house of bondage. When God brought them out of Egypt, He brought them out of the house of bondage. The second is, is, is in three different places in the Old Testament as well. Egypt is also called the iron furnace. When God brought them out of Egypt, He brought them out of the house of bondage, and He brought them out of the iron furnace. Some of you here today are in the house of bondage. Others of you here today are in the iron furnace. And some of you are in both the house of bondage and the iron furnace. And the word of the Lord to you today is that God is going to bring you out of the house of bondage, and He's going to bring you out of the iron for furnace, and then you're going to become His sanctuary, and you're going to become His dominion. Now, the house of bondage. Why is Egypt called the house of bondage? Egypt is called the house of bondage because, number one, it's the place where the Israelites were compelled to labor. They were compelled to work. Number two, they received no reward for their labor. No reward for their work. In other words, their labor took everything from them and gave nothing to them. And number three, it was the place where the Israelites had no power to change their situation. They couldn't just get up and leave. They were compelled to work. They received no reward for their labor and they had no power to change their situation. If you are compelled to work, you receive no reward for your labor, and you have no power to change your situation, you are in bondage. Wow. 
Now, I want us to understand the word work. Do you know that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death? Meaning that sin is work. If you're living in sin, you're going to work every day. You're just working for the wrong boss. And the wages, what are the wages? What's the reward that you receive for your labor? Death. Literally, when God cuts you a paycheck, he cuts you a big check and it says death on it. and says, here you go, you've earned this. You've worked real hard for this. Congratulations. Here's what you've earned. You've worked and the reward for your labor is death. It takes everything from you and gives nothing back to you. That's the definition of sin. Wow. Takes everything from you and, and the lie is that it gives you something. Yeah. Right, right. You're stuck there because you're convinced that it gives you something. When in actuality, it takes from you and it gives you nothing. If you are compelled to work, there's no reward for your labor and you're stuck there. You have no power to change your situation. You're in bondage. Yeah. And that's where Israel was. Yeah. And God said, I'm bringing them out of the house of bondage. Yeah. Some of you have longed for a deeper walk with Christ. You've longed for a deeper manifestation of His presence. You've longed for a deeper sense of His glory and His power. And God says, I've got that in store for you. But first, my first priority is to bring you out of Egypt. Notice, Mount Sinai did not happen while they were still in Egypt. Yeah. The revelation of God happened after He brought them out yeah. of Egypt. Yeah. Some of you have made a treaty with bondage. And this is why the scripture says that Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they came out of a people of a strange language. Because the house of bondage for the children of God is always a strange place. See, this is how you know if you're a child of God or not. I'm going to give you a litmus test. To be a child of God does not mean you do everything perfect and you've got no sin in your life. Can I just lay that out? Doesn't mean that you're perfect. Doesn't mean that you have no sin. Doesn't mean that there's no unrighteousness in you. It simply means that in every place in which there is any kind of unrighteousness in your life, you're never at home there. It's a strange place. It doesn't feel right. Even some of you are living in the house of bondage, but you're children of God. You're saved. You know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but there's an area of bondage in your life and you're living there. But how do you know if you're actually a child of God? The difference between the child of God and just the sinner is the child of God is never at home in Egypt. The child of God doesn't make excuses for his Egypt. The child of God doesn't make a treaty with Egypt. The child of God isn't, well, this is just me. I'm just, I just got to be me. Or this is just my thorn in the flesh. I just got to deal with this. Well, he can't fix everything. He can't deal with everything. And you're, the child of God is never, he's always a stranger in the land of Egypt. Always a stranger in the land of Egypt. The child of God, remember what God said to Moses when he came down at the burning bush and met Moses? He said, I've heard the groanings of my people in Egypt. Do you realize that what distinguishes the children of God from those who are not is the children of God, even if they're in Egypt, they groan there. Has God heard your groanings? 
When was the last time you groaned over the bondage in your life? When was the last time you wept over it? When was the last time you cried? When was the last time something rose up within you and said, God, this is not right. I can't live here. This is not the place that you've called, created, and destined me to be. God, you've got to get me out of here. God responded to the groans of his people in bondage. And if you're in bondage, but you're not groaning, I would be afraid if I were you. I would be very afraid, especially if you think you're a child of God, but you can live in bondage and not groan. I would be afraid if I were you because the Bible talks about individuals whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron and their end is destruction. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. He said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of your heart, if you have been alienated from the life of God, don't be blaming God for it. Wow. How come you just can't love me? How come you just can't accept me as I am? I've cried out to you, but how come you don't answer? Just blaming God, just projecting the blame onto God for the fact that your own understanding has been darkened and you've been alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in you, because of the blindness of your heart. And it goes on to say, who being past feeling. Wow. No more is there a prick in your heart when you do that which grieves the Holy Spirit. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work that which is, to work that which is evil with all uncleanness. If you've been past feeling, if you've gone past feeling, there's a problem. But here's the key. Today could be your wake-up call. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Today could be the day when you simply make a decision. Whoa, like the prodigal son yeah. who came to his senses yeah. in the pig's pen and said, what am I doing here? This is not the place. Hold on a second. He remembered who he was. I'm a child of God. I don't belong in the pig's pen. God says, I'm going to bring you out of the house of bondage and then you're going to become my sanctuary. This is not a harsh word today. This is a word of promise. God says, I'm going to bring you out of the house of bondage. The problem with many believers is that i got to convince you that you're actually in the house of bondage before God can bring you out because we are living in a day and age in which so much of our sins we've just made a treaty with and it's just the way of the world and we've just said, well, this is just the way it is and, and this is just who... And, and we're living in a day and age in which people call on the name of the Lord but do not depart from iniquity and we think yeah. it's okay because yeah. society says it's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, can I say something? Yeah. Say what you want about Kanye West. <laughs> Say what you want about Kanye West. But you know what I heard in his voice? Real repentance. I heard him say, that was wrong. What I was doing was wrong. I called myself a God that was wrong. 
I was living in debauchery and he talked about everything, how all the ways of women and all of that. And the, the guy asked him, says, so was that a gradual process? No, nah, that was cold turkey. The Lord just broke that off of me. I stopped. He departed from iniquity. Say what you want about him. He departed from iniquity, which is more than we can say for many believers who have been in the church for a long time. Now, I don't know what the future of Kanye is going to be. Who knows? I'm not. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, you know, what I've heard in his voice today is I've heard actual repentance. I've heard an actual turning away from his old ways. And when you begin to hear that sound, that's a completely different sound. See, that's not the way the world talks. All of a sudden, the Egyptians become a people of a strange language. And your language becomes strange because you begin to speak the language of repentance. You begin to speak the language of submission to God. And you begin to speak the language of righteousness. Isn't that crazy? All right. Israel became his sanctuary. Judah became his sanctuary, the scripture says. Do you know what the word sanctuary in the Hebrew is there? Kodesh. You know what it means? It means holy. Israel became his holy, his holiness, his holy place. See, the word sanctuary today, it actually means safe place or hiding place. We have sanctuary cities where people can hide out who have, you know, right? If you've broken the law, you look for a sanctuary, right? That's not what it meant in the Old Testament. It meant holy place. It meant place that has been set apart by God for his personal dwelling. It's like God apartment shopping. And he finds the apartment that he's looking for and says, this is the place right there. That place that he says, I'm going to dwell here. This is my place. That's his holy place. That's his sanctuary. It's simply God's apartment, the place he dwells. Judah, when they came out of Egypt... When they came out and away from that people of a strange tongue, Judah became his apartment. Wow. God says, perfect. I'm going to dwell right here. I'm going to live right here. I'm going to pitch my tent right here. I'm going to set up my dwelling right here. I'm going to bring in my couches and my coffee tables and my dining room tables, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to dwell here, and I'm going to live here. Why? You've come out of Egypt, which means you've prepared yourself to be a dwelling place for the Lord. Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The word dominion, uh, mumshalah in the Hebrew, means a domain, which is a sphere of action, thought, and influence. Israel became the sphere of his action, of his thought, and of his influence. Meaning, God says, all of my actions, all of my works, all of my power is going to be displayed right here. Literally, if we become his domain, his dominion, he says, you know what? This place right here, these people right here, I'm going to show my works, my actions. The stuff that I do, they're going to see it. I'm going to display it among them. When Israel came out of Egypt, God said, I'm going to make them my domain. I'm going to make them my dominion. Now, if people want to see my works, they're going to have to come to Israel. They're going to come to Israel and everything I do. And watch this. And he says, the sea saw it and fled. What's he talking about? The parting of the Red Sea. The parting of the Red Sea was the sea seeing that Israel was God's dominion. And the sea saw Israel come and said, let's get out of the way. (laughs) You go that way, I'll go this way. Get out of the way for the people of God. 
Jordan turned back. Remember, they crossed over two times. First, they crossed over the Red Sea to go into the wilderness, yeah. and they crossed the Jordan to, Jordan to come out of it. The Jordan was coming downstream, and it saw Israel, and it said, Oh, shoot, turn around! Go back! Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> That's, the sea saw it and fled. Jordan saw it and turned back. Yeah. The mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. What's the mountain skipping like rams? Mount Sinai. Oh, wow. Mount Sinai. When it talked about the earthquake, when the presence of God came and sat on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20, when they're in the wilderness and the presence of God comes and indwells the mountain, the mount, it says there was an earthquake and there was thundering and light. literally the mountain is dancing. The mountain's like, oh, the Lord is, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> the mountain just started skipping and jumping and hopping and, and dancing. Come on, somebody. That's what happens when you become his dominion. That's what happens. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when your trials and tribulations see you coming? It's like one of them automatic doors at the supermarket where it senses your presence. goes, open up. Get out of the way. Can you imagine coming to a place? Do you realize when Jesus would enter into a city? demonized people would, would just, the demons yeah. would like run. They would yeah. just run. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is here. And that's how the psalm ends. It yeah. ends by saying, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Yeah. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Yeah. How crazy. How, we don't realize how great. We sang that song, how great is our God. You have no clue how great is our God. Yeah. You have no clue how great our God is. And you'll never discover it until you come out of Egypt. Yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. Now I want to read you something. That was my introduction. <laughs> Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. This picks up where we left off last Sunday. The wise men came from the east. They journeyed. They followed the star. They come to Bethlehem. They see the child. They bring out their treasures, yeah. gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Remember, they went to Herod in Jerusalem. Herod called all his court theologians and Bible scholars in and said, where's the Messiah? They said, he's going to be found in Bethlehem. He told the wise men, go to Bethlehem. Search diligently for the child. When you find him, come back and let me know where he is so that I can worship him too. Now, the wise men find the child. They bring out their treasures. They worship him. They prostrate themselves before him. Verse 13, now when they had departed, the wise men that is, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, listen, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Lord, didn't you just hear what I said about Egypt? It's the place of bondage. Why would you want to send your son there? Yeah. Why would the Lord be sending his son into Egypt? Yeah. Egypt, all through the Old Testament, was the place they were trying to get out of. Yeah. Right. You know where Egypt is first mentioned in the Bible? In Genesis chapter 12, there was this dude named Abram. Later, God named him Abraham. And God speaks to him at the beginning of chapter 12, says, get up out of your father's house, go to the place I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, and in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Great faith of Abraham. He hears God say, go, and he just decides to go. He's moving with God. But then he gets to the promised land just in time for a famine. 
Isn't it crazy? God says, go there, and you get there just in time for the famine to start. Don't you just feel betrayed by God? Like, Lord, you sent me here for the famine? (laughs) You cursed me. That's what it feels like. The blessing can feel like a curse. And so Abraham decides by himself, you know, we're up out of here. We tried this will of God thing. Didn't work out so well. So now we're going to turn to conventional wisdom. And conventional wisdom, or what we call common sense, is if there's a famine here, but there's food in Egypt, let's just go to Egypt. Abram went to Egypt because he did not trust the Lord. And once he took one step of distrust in the Lord and dependence on his own power, once he got there, he had to take another step of distrust in the Lord because he got there and realized that his wife was the most beautiful. I mean, how ugly were the? I mean, I'm just saying, like, for his wife at 80 years of age to be the most beautiful woman (laughs) in the whole country. (laughs) Right? I'm just saying. He wasn't expecting that. And then he gets down there and he says, I made the decision to provide for myself. Now I got to figure out how to protect myself. So he says to his wife, if you love me, tell him you're my sister. Now he's lying. First, he's running from obedience. And now he gets down there. He's lying. Do you realize that if you take one step on your own power, you got to take the next one, too? If you take one step of distrust in the Lord, it always leads to another step. If you take one step of disobedience, it always leads to another step of disobedience. Do you realize, do you realize that the enemy always lies to you and tells you it's just one step? All you got to do is take this one little step of disobedience and you'll be fine. You can turn back. It's not even a big sin. It's just a little sin. Not realizing that the enemy already knows that you take that one step, you're going to have to take 10 more until you make a decision to turn around and go back to the place of obedience. And most of the time, it's after the Lord beats the, the brakes off yeah. of you, <laughs> which is what happened to Abraham. Yes. You know, Pharaoh gets a dream. Don't touch that woman or else I'm going to have to kill you. And you know the story. Abraham had to journey all the way back to the promised land, still in the middle of the famine, yeah. because he had stepped outside of the will of God. Going to Egypt was against the will of God. Yeah. Egypt was the place where Joseph was sold as a slave by his yeah. brothers. You remember that? Yeah. It was a place of slavery for Joseph. And you say, well, Joseph was blessed in Potiphar's house. Yes, but he was a blessed slave. Do you realize you could be a blessed slave? Do you realize that the blessing will operate even when you're in bondage? And some of you, you're receiving the blessing and you're like, well, God must be okay with what I'm doing because he's still (laughs) blessing me. No, you're just a blessed slave. (laughs) You still need to come out of Egypt. Just take the blessing with you. That's good. And then all of Israel entered into slavery there for 300 years. Israel was not, I mean, Egypt was not a good place. Why in the world would God be sending his son into Egypt? And by the way, this is what I call a scandal of divine interference. You know what a scandal of divine interference is? It's a conundrum. The question is, why does God interfere in one way but not in another? Right? Yeah. That don't make no sense. Yeah. 
<laughs> Think about it. The angel says, they're about to start killing people here tomorrow, so y'all get out. Everybody else here is going to die, but you all get out quick. Well, if the angel could come and warn them, right. why not warn everybody else? Yeah. Matter of fact, why not take care of wicked Herod before he starts killing yeah. people? There's this scandal of divine interference. Why does God intervene in one way but not in another way? The answer to that question is the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the, will our, to the Lord our God. Uh, we have no idea why he intervenes. That's why it's a scandal. And for Joseph and Mary, it's even more scandalous. Mary and Joseph, they had a whole bunch of what's. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? That's true. The angel appears to Mary. You're about to get pregnant. But I'm not married yet. Yeah, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. What? <laughs> and then she gets pregnant. The angel shows up to Joseph. You better take Mary as your wife. But she's pregnant. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. What? <laughs> and then it's time to go to... Y'all got to go to Bethlehem because, you know, the Caesar made the decree and you got to go to Bethlehem. But it's, she's nine months pregnant. We got a journey 90 miles up to, up to Bethlehem from Nazareth in the middle of the winter. What? And then they get there and there's no room in the inn. And Mary's like, what? I got to give birth in a cave? Now the angel appears and says, y'all got to go to Egypt. What? Yeah, because Herod's going to kill people here in Bethlehem. Okay, well, can't we go back to Nazareth? Is he killing people in Nazareth? Can we go to Jerusalem? Is he killing people in Jerusalem? Jericho? (laughs) Why we got to go to Egypt? What? Lord, you spent the whole Old Testament trying to get your people out of there. Now you're sending your own son into there? You know why he had to go into Egypt? Because God knew that even though he had delivered us from Egypt, some of us are still living there. He had to go to Egypt the same re- for the same reason that he had to be born a man. Wow. The incarnation. Why did he even have to come to earth and be born? Why would the incarnate, why would, why would the, 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 the eternal son of God have to be born in human flesh? Because he had to take on that which he was redeeming. Matter of fact, when he died on the cross, you know what he did for those three days? He descended into hell. Jesus went to hell. Why did he have to go down to hell? You know why? Because he had to take the keys of death out of the hands of the enemy. The descent, the canonic journey. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself. He emptied himself of all of his rights and all of his prerogatives. He said, I've got to go on this journey. And this journey is going to require my descent into places that I don't want to go. It's going to require my endurance of things that I don't want to endure, but he was willing to do it. Why? Not just because it was the will of the Father, but he knew that if he was willing to go on this journey, he could redeem all of us. He knew that his journey was not for himself, but it was for us. And the problem, see, listen, the reason why you're having trouble with your trouble is because you think your trouble is all about you. And you can't make sense of the fact that some journeys God sends you on are not about you at all. 
He had to go into Egypt so that we could come out of Egypt. In order to bring us out, he had to go in. Watch this, Egypt, the place you're afraid of, it's not only called the house of bondage, it's also called the iron furnace. It's called the iron furnace because of the cruelty that the people of Israel experienced there. And it was called the iron furnace because of the intense heat and the intense pressure that seemed never to stop. You see, some of you have been living in the iron furnace. You've been living in a place of intense heat and intense pressure that seems never to stop. Some of you have been going through a trial that is ravaging. You've been going through a trial that is eating at the very fiber of your soul. Some of you have been going through stuff that seems like it will never stop, that it will never quit. Jesus went right into the iron furnace, right into the house of bondage, so that he could bring you right out of the iron furnace, right out of the house of bondage. When Israel went out of Egypt, the question is, how does he bring us out of Egypt? If you're living in the house of bondage, how do you come out of the house of bondage? If you're living in the iron furnace, how do you come out of the iron furnace? Let me tell you what the answer is not. Try a little harder. Because some of you are thinking, if I try a little harder, I can break this bondage over my life. If I try a little harder, I can come out of this trial. Not realizing that the try a little harder philosophy is living by your own strength, by your own power, and seeking to be your own redeemer. And matter of fact, what tends to happen with folk is that when you find yourself in the house of bondage, you separate yourself from the people of God because you're thinking, I'm not worthy to go to the house of God. I feel too unclean. I don't want to go there right now because somebody's going to look at me and see right through me and realize what I've been into and what I've been struggling with and what I'm dealing with. So I'm going to separate myself till I get myself clean, and then I'll come back to the house of God. Wrong. Would you like to buy a vow? You want to call a friend? That's the wrong answer. Because you're trying to be your own redeemer. You're trying to fix yourself. You're just like Adam and Eve hiding behind the bush when they heard the presence of God because they knew they messed up. Not realizing the Lord could see right through the bush. You don't hide from God because you messed up. You run to God when you messed up. You don't hide from God's people because you're, you're in bondage. You run to God's people when you're in bondage because you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. Hosea chapter 12, verse 11, I think, might be verse 13. It says, by a prophet, he brought them out of Egypt. By a prophet, he brought them out of Egypt. Whenever God seeks to bring his people out of Egypt, he does so through the prophetic voice. Think about it. What did Moses actually do? Think of, like, Moses is the great deliverer, right? What did he actually do? This is what the Lord says. Let him go. No? He said no. Whoosh! Plague. Go back. This is what the Lord says, let him go. No? He said no. Whoosh, plague. The Lord said let him go. What did Moses actually do? He simply said, let him go. 
And Pharaoh opposed his word. And you know what he did? He just came back and said, let him go. Israel rejected his word. And you know what he did? He went back and said, let him go. Everyone opposed his word. Everyone called him a liar because he was proclaiming a word of freedom. Everybody argued with him because he was proclaiming a word of freedom. Everybody told him it's not possible. You don't know my situation. You don't know what I've been through. Everybody tried to give excuses as to why. Remember the Israelites said, you haven't freed us, the Lord. All you did was was make it harder for us. (laughs) (laughs) And even Moses freaked out. He went to the Lord, look, you hear this? It didn't work. It didn't work. And the the Lord says, go back. What do I do? Tell him again. Go to the Israelites and say, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out of the house of bondage with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. So, but they don't believe me. I didn't, ask, I didn't ask if they believed you. I said, go tell them what I said. You know what he does? He sends his word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the problem. The reason Israel couldn't get free immediately is because the word of the Lord that came through Moses was the strange language to them. They were living in the house of bondage and the language of bondage had become their native tongue. See, the reason you can't get free is because you speak bondage as your native language. You've got a reason, explanation, and excuse for every component of bondage in your life. And and if the Lord were to come to you today and say, I'm setting you free, you would give him an argument. Yeah. (laughs) And a reason why either you actually don't need to be free or you tried before, but you couldn't get free. Or maybe you're like the man at the pool of Bethesda. I just don't have anybody to help me. There will always be a reason. But there's got to be a Moses who keeps proclaiming freedom. And actually, can I give you one step better? Psalm chapter 68, verse 11. The Lord announced the word, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. The Lord announced the word, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. You want want to know what it looks like for us to really get free? Whenever the Lord announces a word, you not only hear it and say amen, like most, most, most Christians do. Woo, that was a good word. Oh, praise the Lord. That was a good word. What was the word? I don't know, but it was a good word. I just, man, that word just spoke to my soul. What did it speak? I'm not quite, I don't remember, but it was, yeah. And then you go out and you speak the same curses of, over your life all week long. Same excuse. I hear it all the time. I'll preach a powerful word on how God wants to give you the spirit of encouragement. And right after the service is over, you'll walk up to me and say, Pastor, I'm just so discouraged. (laughs) You didn't hear a word I said. I talked to you for an hour about encouragement. You're still not encouraged? No, I'm just not encouraged at all. I'm just so discouraged. I'm just so discouraged. Meaning, discouragement is your native tongue. So when God speaks to you about encouragement, it's a foreign language to you. 
Of course you're still in bondage. You're speaking the language of bondage. Until you start speaking the word of freedom, you can't enter into the place of freedom. You've got to come out of Egypt, out of the people of a strange language. you got to wake up and say, the way I've been talking is not the way a child of God should talk. What I've been speaking is not what a child of God should speak. You remember what the prophet Isaiah said? Who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Mm. Translation, you can't get free till you believe our report. That's good. What did Jesus actually do? Think about it. Moses, the great deliverer, he brings Israel out of Egypt. How? By just saying, the Lord said, let him go. (laughs) I don't think I can be used mightily of God. Can you just say, the Lord said, let him go? (laughs) Good, you're qualified to be a Moses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He just walked around and just said, oh, oh, y'all want me to talk? Okay. Blessed are the poor in spirit, (laughs) for theirs is the kingdom of God. He just talked. And then he says in John chapter 8, if you cling to my teaching, translation, if my teaching becomes your native language, you are truly my disciples. If my teaching is not your native tongue, you're not my disciples. If you're still speaking the language of bondage, you are not my disciples. But if you cling to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. How did Jesus begin his ministry in Luke chapter 4? Verse 18, he comes out of the wilderness, he walks into the synagogue, he asks for the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he scrolls through the scroll until he finds the place where it is written, and then he stands in front of the people and he reads, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim opening of prison doors for those in bondage. Jesus bought freedom how? At the end of the day, you can't get free because you don't believe the word of freedom. Because the Lord is proclaiming freedom to you and you're clinging to your bondage. And we're moving with God this year. But the Lord says, if you want to move with me, you've got to move out of Egypt. But the moment you move out of Egypt, I'm ready to make you my sanctuary and I'm ready to make you my dominion. Let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be freedom in 2020 like you have never known. Let me tell you what's going to happen. There are some of you in this room right now, and I say this by the word of the Lord, 2020 will be the first 365-day period of freedom that you have ever experienced. Some of you are going to look back a year from today, and you're going to say, I've never had a full year of freedom from fill in the blank. But in 2020, I've had it. Some of you are going to leave your house of bondage in 2019 and not take it to 2020 with you. But what's going to determine that? Your willingness to identify it, to call it for what it is, and to deal with it. 
Because I say this to you just as clearly, that if you brush it under the rug today, if you pretend I'm talking to somebody else, if you continue to hide that sin in your heart, if you refuse to address it and refuse to deal with it, it will continue to cling to you like the plague. And don't think it won't grow. Because just because it's not a big deal today doesn't mean it's not going to be a big deal tomorrow. And if you cling to it, you're going to look back a year from today and say, not only did I not experience freedom, but I'm in deeper bondage today than I was a year ago when I heard that word. I should have heeded it. But I expect better things. Amen. You know what I anticipate? Judah will become his sanctuary. Amen. And Israel his dominion. And all it takes is a heart that is willing to say, God, I want to be your sanctuary more than anything. So give me the courage. Where's the microphone? Give me the courage and the boldness and the resolve to renounce what I need to renounce, to forsake what I need to forsake, yeah. so that I might become your sanctuary and your dominion. Amen. I want you to be, I want to be your dwelling place, yeah. and I want you to be mine. Yes. And I'll end with this as the worship team comes. I have a friend who was ministering in a third world country in the Middle East, and he had a radio broadcast and he got the opportunity to preach the gospel across the airways in this, yeah. in this country, this country that's actually closed to the gospel. Yeah. And they shared the gospel, and he was preaching out of Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And he received this testimony, a woman who was listening to that broadcast. She wrote the letter. She said, I just wanted to tell you that it worked. And she said, when I heard the word, I opened my heart to Jesus and I said, Lord, please come and knock at my door. And she said, I heard a knock at my front door. And I went and I opened the door and there he was. Wow. And he came in and he sat at the table and I made him food and we ate together. She said, so I just want you to know, Jesus has come into my life. He's come into my home. Here's what's crazy. When she heard the word, she believed it literally. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus literally, wow. Wow. and I'm not talking about the millennial definition of literally, <laughs> which can also mean figuratively. <laughs> yeah. I mean the Gen X Definition of literally, which means literally. <laughs> Jesus came in yeah. and sat at the table with her. Wow. How crazy is that? Yeah, wow. Do you know what hearing stories like that does for me? It opens my heart to the possibility that there's a new level of reality yeah. that is totally foreign to me. I mean, the idea of Jesus 
literally knocking on the door of my literal home and literally coming into my house and sitting at the table and literally eating with me the way he did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, that he still does that today? That's a level of reality that still feels foreign to me. Meanwhile, the things of the world, they still feel so normal. God wants to switch it up in 2020 where the things of the Spirit are more normal than the things of the world. Where the reality of Jesus is more normal than the things of the world. Where heavenly visitations and angelic appearances, where Jesus coming in the room, where miracles, signs and wonders, salvation breaking out among us. But it starts when we make the decision, I'm coming out of Egypt. I'm not living in that place anymore. I'm coming out. Come on, I want you to stand to your feet right now. I want you to stand to your feet right now and I want you to lift up your hands and I just want you to talk to the Lord right now. I want you to tell him I'm coming out of Egypt.